Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. The first place we will be is 1 John chapter 2. We will not leave the book of 1 John. You know, when it, when it comes to Sundays and preaching, uh, my job is to have two messages ready uh, just in case Pastor Stone needs me on Sunday morning and... Uh, Lord willing, definitely on Sunday night, and you know, and there's a, there's a message for for Sunday mornings, and there are messages for Sunday nights. But as soon as I saw Pastor Stone here this morning, I I I knew that I wanted to preach my my Sunday morning message tonight. Uh, you you just you just never know. You typically think you have a. a you know, a certain group of the church on Sunday morning, different ones on Sunday night, and different ones on Wednesday night. You know, uh, there have been there have been people who have attended church a, a long time and attended Sunday school as well, and they were saved in Sunday school class. So, so you never know what God's up to or why He laid it on my heart to preach this tonight. But last Sunday morning we talked about despair and we were all able to relate somewhat to one another to that subject of despair. Everyone is tempted to fall into it. Most of the times we do fall into despair here and there and it's, it's an issue that, that everyone seems to have. Not that we're to stay there. God doesn't want us to stay there. There's a remedy we we can we can look ahead and know that know that that temptation's always coming and different things will happen in life to cause that. Um, but we look far enough ahead, and we know there's going to be no despair one day. And and not that it's just going to help in that day because it's going to be perfect. But that helps us now. And so tonight, we're going to go from despair to doubt, the struggle with doubt. And we could go so many places with that. Uh, On a a Sunday night, we could go many different places with that, but we're going to talk about the most important struggle one can have with with doubt, and that's concerning the subject of salvation, so as we looked at despair last week, tonight it's going to be the devastation of doubt. And, and let's just get started with, with a question that, that is aimed to and has a lot to do with what we believe doctrinally as a church. Can we absolutely, positively know that we are saved? Before we go to 1 John 2, where you are, you don't have to turn to chapter 5, verse 13. You probably already know the verse. It says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. What what a wonderful verse. You probably remember the first time you... You read that verse after you were saved and, and you were like, that's right. 
We, I, I, I have known, I do know, we do know that we were saved. We learn here in this verse that a person can be saved and a, and a person that is saved knows they're saved. As far as a person being saved and doubting their salvation... I don't have a lot to say on that subject. It wouldn't do me any good to make any critical comments or concerning uh, statements about it. That's just not going to do any good at all. But let me just say this. A study of this entire book of First John is really going to help anyone out in that area. First John results in knowing without a doubt whether we have eternal life or not. That's, that's one thing that God clearly uses this book for. And I would love to do a series on, on the whole book. We did that at the villa several years ago. But we're just going to go through this book and we're going to look at, at three things that help us with doubt. And we're going to look tonight, as we could look at many things, but we're going to look at obedience and love and trust in the Christian life. Either it's going to be revealed that we have never been saved. And if that's the case, the good news is we can be saved immediately. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Let us look at obedience in the Christian life and what that does for us. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. To be saved does not mean that someone becomes perfect right now. But, but to be saved, to become a Christian means we have new headquarters. We have... Uh, a personal authority. God is authority over all, but we have a personal authority. And He has commands. He has instructions for the Christian life. So there is a new rule that we live by. The law of God. Not that we live by the law of God to get saved. That's, that's not how we get saved. The law is a schoolmaster to show us the way to be saved through Christ. So we don't obey the law to get saved. We don't obey the law to stay saved. But once we're saved, we have a, a new rule in our lives. And we want to please our God who saved us. So we desire and we, 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 we honor His commandments to, to do what He says. If a person says they're saved and they have no respect or no regard for God's law, you might think, who would do that? I, I've been in the audience of, 
of the words of someone saying that before. Not, not just someone, several who would, who would claim salvation in Jesus, but then they don't have much good to say about the Bible. If someone claims to be saved and they have no respect or regard for God's commandments, they're a liar. That doesn't, that doesn't add up. They might be on the membership of a church role. They might know a little Christian jargon. You know, a lot of people say that they're blessed. And actually, that's true. God lets it rain on the just and the unjust. But they might know some Christian talk. They might recall some religious steps they've been through and formalities in their life. But if the conduct is not governed by the commandments of God, then they don't know the Lord personally. Belief results in behavior. That's the, you, can, you can mark that down. and that's, that, that's the way it is with everything. Look outside of what we believe. Look at what others believe. And then look at the behavior that comes along with it. Belief results in behavior. As I said, when we're saved, we're not perfect. So when, when our actions or our words are out of line with the commands of God, we don't think it's funny. We're not looking to show off or think, think something is cute. We're embarrassed by it. And we immediately need to go and want to go to our Lord to resolve that issue. It's not a laughing matter. It's nothing we boldly put on display when our actions are out of line with God's commands. We, we don't want anyone to know about it. And thank God for conviction. For us being heavy hearted and getting to God to agree with Him on how we've been out of line. And, and there comes that pardon. There comes the, the, those, those multiple pardons to you and I. We need to agree with God about it. And we'll ideally do that really, really quickly. You know, the attitude about sin, the attitude about breaking God's commands, it most definitely changes when we get saved. We're saved sinners, but there is absolutely a different attitude about sin that takes place in the change that happens when we get saved. If there is no submissive obedience to God, and the same ungodly living habitually takes place, There is no reason to think, there is no evidence to stand on that the life is saved and that they have been given a home in heaven. Sinning willfully and deliberately without conviction about it, I mean, it gives no evidence we're saved. Obedience gives us confidence. It doesn't earn earn salvation or anything like that, but it gives us confidence in salvation. It, It helps with that doubt. That can occur. We can also look at love in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14. It says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. 
He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. God is love. Paul tells us in Romans that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts when we place our faith in Jesus. Peter says that we have a new nature. We have a divine nature and and that is given from heaven. That is given from God to you and I. The saved person has God's love in them. God has loved us and the saved person learns to love, learns to be able to love others. There's a man who has a a picture frame right inside his door. It is placed in such a way that any guest who comes in the home sees that picture. It's a picture of two men that look identical. It's actually the father of the home and the son of the home. The picture is of the father when he was 18 years old. The picture of the son is from when he was 18 years old. Dad's in his 70s now and son's in his late 30s. But that picture of both of them side by side at 18 years old makes them look like twins. You know, that's what DNA does. That's the result of DNA. You know, he the son took on the likeness of the father. And so we have spiritual DNA, if you will. God's love has come to take up residence and live inside us. And we're going to grow to be more like Him. We are going to be seen as being more like Him because He has given us the ability to love as He loves. God will take His children to a place where people will marvel over the Christian's resemblance of the Lord and His love. We are going to have a result in being born of God that that we are going to resemble Him, that His love is going to be seen in us. We We love like we've never loved before when we get saved. Because it's different from human love. It's a heavenly love. If we do not, if a person does not have sacrificial, unconditional love for others, then then how would we not doubt being saved? And it might be a good thing to doubt it. We're not born of God if this love hasn't been born in our hearts. And it's something different. It's something evident. We know. Don't, don't, let, me, don't let me rush you. It's, 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 it's something that, that grows. A Christian can grow as quick as they want to, you know, by the Word of God, by everything God has given us to do. Some may be slow growers, but there's going to be no doubt that a love has hit our hearts and and it and it's actually it actually comes from our life to others and it's a love that we could have never loved with it we we love we can love in the in the midst of the ugliness with the love of god that's what he did while we were yet sinners 
Christ died for us. That's God's love to us. We heard a a verse this morning about how you'll be known if you're a disciple of the Lord, if you have love one for another. If there's no spiritual love for others, there is surely a reason for miserable doubt concerning salvation. Many, many have said they were saved and they don't love the church. They don't have any use for the church, but oh, I believe in Jesus. They, I love Jesus. The problem with that is, the love that we love Jesus with cannot be separated from an act of love for the church. If we love our Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to love the church. Someone might say, of a ch- I heard of a church experience that someone had that was difficult in another church the last couple of days. And, and they're not there anymore. But what are we talking about here? We're talking about sacrificial, unconditional love. That's, that's the love that we share with Jesus that He's given to us. And, and so, how do we endure? How are we patient? How are people patient with us and endure us? It's this love that we've been born from above with. If we love Jesus... Truly, we can't separate that from love for the church. It all goes together. I've probably told off on Shelly's granddaddy before how, and I've expounded before on some, some difficulties he went through even before he was saved as a child with other people. And I'm not going to go into that. Let me just cut to the chase and tell the portion of his testimony where God saved him and then God called him to preach. And he sipped on a whiskey bottle for about 10 years trying to numb the conviction. It didn't work. He ended up surrendering as he should. And he surrendered to the ministry But he said, God, I'll serve you, but I'm not going to serve people. And he found out really quick that the only way to serve God was to serve people, to serve others. If we love God, we are going to love others. He loved the unlovable. And he gave his son for us. That's this love. He gives us love for the unlovable. When we're unlovable, we're loved by the rest of the church because that's the love that God puts in us. If we love the Lord, we're going to love the church. And there's no room for doubt when that love is active in our lives. And I tell you what, doubt is devastating. Doubt is is miserable. But let's look at trust now in 1 John chapter 5 and verses 10 through 12. It says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, 
and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. This is, you know, First John is written in the continuous sense, but we see words written in the, in the present tense here. In verse 10, where I started, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Not he that believed on the Son of God, but he that believeth. There, there is current trust in the believer's life, in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was, there was a day that we first believed. I mean, but we believe. There's many people that, that look back to a day. We should be able to look at today concerning our testimony, concerning an assurance that we're a believer. There's a current trust in the believer's life. If someone looks back to a profession of faith that they made as the only evidence that they have believed, there's something wrong there. There, There's always been the struggle with doubt when someone has said, I I remember walking the aisle and I know that I believed. And what else came out in the testimony is that maybe for 20 years there's been no other evidence in their life. So they're going back to that day, that, that one day, and then nothing since then. And guess what they're experiencing? They're experiencing the devastation of doubt. And for good reason. There's no assurance of salvation if there's no current evidence. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, the greatest obedience, the greatest love, and, and just some really strong trust. If we're backslidden, if we're out of the will of God, we're going to be miserable. That's evidence of salvation. We can't, we can't enjoy life in the world. There's going to be a heaviness. There's, there's, everything is going to be a sign pushing you and I back to the Lord that we might come for for multiplied pardon and, and all of the mercy of God. There is a continuous trust in the life. I, I went to a revival several years ago, and a lady went up to play the piano and to sing, did a beautiful job, and, and she talked about several professions of faith that she made when she was young. And then she said about 40 years ago, I made my last profession of faith. And I have been having the privilege and opportunity, the desire to be in church anytime I can. When I hear of a revival service like this, I go and I'm blessed to be able to sing to the Lord and and play this instrument for the Lord. And so after that last profession of faith, I mean, it, it stuck and I never made another one. Her confidence is not 
in that profession of faith alone. Her confidence is in the continued testimony of her life and the evidence of Jesus Christ in her life. When she made false professions of faith, she still loved the world and loved the things of the world. After this profession of faith, her life changed and she has served the Lord with her life. So therefore, it is, it's a current evidence that is going to keep us from having doubt. We will not find a chapter or, an, or a verse in the Bible that will tell us to look back to one certain day for assurance of salvation. There, I, I said it a minute ago, but there's something wrong with someone that says, I know when I walked that out, I know I have believed, I never lived for the Lord, but I, but I know I meant it when I said that. And there's a problem there. There's a problem there. The only way to know we truly believed is by the present belief that is evidence now. There is evidence when we are a child of God. If, if we are relying on past belief, one past act, there is going to be doubt of salvation in the life. I'll never forget one preacher had a daughter and she said, she said, Daddy, I don't, I don't know why I'm struggling I'm struggling with, with whether I believe or not. And, and she just settled it. He said, look, you just settle it right here and right now. And, and, and Lord, I don't want to get knee deep into all the struggle I've had before. But right now, I just want to make it clear that I trust you as my Lord and Savior of my life. And, but, it, but it wasn't all in... I mean, she was saved in a moment of her life. But how did she know it was true? The evidence came out in the rest of her life and the way that she lived her, her life. And, and so that just brings us to a, a question to ask, and that is, is there faith in your heart right now? Do you know that you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because, because that's where assurance comes from. Assurance is going to come from right now and what our trust is, what our obedience is, and, 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 and the love that He's put into our life being, being shared and, and the trust that we have. Everyone can be saved and the result of truly being saved is knowing that we're saved. And that is going to be by the change that God has made in our lives. God has designed His salvation, salvation experience, the experience of the Christian life, to be free of that doubt. That is not something that we can find that He wants us to struggle with at all. He sets us free of all doubt. You know, you can go to any other religion and they're uncertain as to what's going to happen to them or what they are, and I understand that. But we know if we've been saved. We have blessed assurance. God does not want anyone struggling with doubt in what Jesus paid for free and clear. And He absolutely comes to live inside. And He forgives us of all of our sins, our past, present, and our future sins. He has positioned His children in a home in heaven. And there is no doubt that God wants us to have in our lives. 
And there is a way to settle the devastation of doubt. And it's not by looking back, but by looking in the present moment. In the experience of obedience to the Lord's commands. The experience of the love that's been shed abroad in our hearts. And we've been given clear command to love one another. To love others. And, and it's a current trust that takes place with God. We, we believed we believe now God wants the issue settled in all of our lives. I preached from 1 John at camp two years ago. And I t- Unshakable Faith, I think, was the title of it. And we talked about the believer's confidence. There is crystal clear confidence for the Christian to have. The true believer belongs to God... And He's never going to let us go. And we're not the same as we once were, once we're we're saved. Somebody might say, well, that's easy for you to say, Brother Kenneth. You lived three decades as a lost person. I was saved at six years old. What about me? That does not make the experience, the power of salvation any less. It's the same experience that any other Christian has moving forward. Your life is like the Christian's life, okay? Your life is is changing in likeness of Christ more and more. And you're not like the world. There's nothing complicated to make out of someone being saved in single-digit age and someone being saved after they become adult. The true believer belongs to God and He'll never let us go. He wants every believer to have confidence in this. We can take God at His word. We can can stand on His word. We can rest in the assurance of salvation that He gives. There's, As I thought about an angle that this message might be received... There, there's, a, there's an angle that I'm aiming for, and so I'm going to tell you a story just, just for that very sake of, of understanding an angle for us to look at this from. And there's a story, and you've, you may have heard it before a time or two. There's a story of a very wealthy man who, with his devoted son, shared a passion for art collecting. They traveled around the world together, adding only the finest paintings to their collection. Included among them were works by Picasso, Van Gogh, and Monet. The old man was a widower, but his son filled up the void in his life. And this was their common bond. But war erupted, and the young man enlisted and was sent overseas. Day after day, the old father prayed. He held his breath. He waited for news. One autumn day near Thanksgiving, the dreaded telegram came. Bordered in black, the young man had died bravely in combat, trying to evacuate those caught under fire. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming holidays with anguish and sorrow. On Christmas morning, a knock sounded at the door. The father opened it to find a soldier there carrying a small package. As they talked, the soldier said, Your son and I became very close, and he told me all about your joint art collection. I myself am an artist and I wanted to give this to you. 
The man took the package in his feeble hands, unwrapped it, and there was a portrait of his son in striking detail. It wasn't a masterpiece, but it was the most precious work of art the man had ever seen. As he gazed at it, he wept, and as the young soldier left, the lonely father pushed aside thousands of dollars worth of art and hung up the portrait of his son in the prized spot over the fireplace. As months passed, the old man received letter after letter telling him of his son's bravery and selflessness and of how many lives he had saved and how many more he had touched. With each passing day, the portrait over the fireplace became more precious and he told his friends that it was the greatest gift he had ever received. The following spring, the old man grew ill and he passed away. The artwork was full of anticipation. Uh, The art world was full of anticipation, wanting to get its hands on the man's fabulous collection. A day was set to auction it all off, and according to the old man's instructions, the first painting was the one that was not uh, on any museum's list, the painting of the man's son. When the auctioneer asked for an opening bid, the room was silent. Who will open the bid at $100, he asked. The moment stretched on awkwardly, and finally someone in the back of the room said, Let's go on to the next piece. No, replied the auctioneer. We have to sell this one first. Finally, a neighbor of the man spoke. Will you take $50 for the painting? That's all I have, but I knew the boy and I liked him, so I'd like to have it. Fifty dollars, we have fifty dollars, shouted the auctioneer. Will anyone go higher? No one did. Going once, going twice, gone, and the gavel fell. Everyone breathed a deep sigh of relief, thankful that now they could proceed with the real auction and get their hands on the masterpieces. But imagine their shock when the auctioneer suddenly declared that the proceedings were over. A loud clamor arose, stunned belief. What do you mean it's over? The people shouted. What about all the masterpieces? The auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will, whoever takes the sun gets it all. You know, so... So let us not think about the pressures and the demands of, of a performance as a Christian in order that, that we might uh, overcome doubt. Let us think about the good news it is that when we receive the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior, we have it all. We're able to be obedient to God's Word. And there's no better way we can live. There's no better protection for our lives. There's nothing better for our lives than what God has for our lives. And and to receive the Son of God is to have a love and to be able to love like we've never loved before in Jesus Christ. And and a trust to be able to continually trust in Jesus and know we can rest on Him for the rest of our lives. And we are assured in Him. We are able to do that. I spoke with someone the other day and, and asked how things were going. And they, they mentioned something in their life 
that I know would devastate me if it ever came into my life one day. But he also said, I'm not going to renounce my Lord Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior now, just like he was then. And he spoke of a confidence in the Lord taking him through what he's going through and going to go through ahead of him. And, and though I saw some hurt over the fact that he has to go through something, I didn't gather any doubt whatsoever. And if there's any doubt in anyone's life here tonight, that's, that's not where God wants you to be. That's not your thorn in the flesh. That is not what God wants you to be. Look what, look what the Lord did for doubting Thomas. He went to him to, to raise him up out of his doubt and to help him with his doubt, to, to display before him a cure and a help for his doubt. And it's the same for you tonight. And, and if you have any doubt that, that you are a child of God, if, if you were just thinking tonight that there really aren't the vital signs there that says I'm a Christian, would you trust in Jesus Christ to save you today? Would you, you know, it's, it's admitting that maybe you've had a church life and you, you know how to go about church and have the lingo but you've never truly been saved, if that's you tonight, then let the Lord do business in your heart. Let Him do a work in your heart and save you. We're going to bow now, and then we're going to have a time of, of invitation. Personal time between you and the Lord. Father God, we bow before you again tonight. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for this particular book, Lord, that would speak of the assurance that we can have in knowing you. And oh, how that troubles the heart of those who live in assurance for those who, who don't have it. Lord, we know you want them to have it. We know you want to give them assurance in their life. And so we pray for everyone here. Lord, that you would have your will and your way in our lives tonight. We want to thank you for an experiential knowledge of salvation. It's not wishful thinking. It's, it's a change in our life that, that happens when you become our Father. From being our, just our Creator. And we want to thank you for loving us. We want to thank you for raising us as your children. We want to thank you for changing our lives to do what we could never do before. And Lord, even the thought of venturing back to what we were before, we thank you for conviction. And Lord, if there be a soul so near hell tonight, Lord, we pray that they would be saved. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If everyone could please stand.